Hello and welcome to the Ramen Profitable Podcast. My name is Atish Mazumdar and I'm here with my co-pilot, the great and powerful Chris Scott. And this is the podcast about testing out your ideas, taking your first steps, and really overcoming those obstacles on the way to entrepreneurship. Enjoy. Yeah, have you been outside in a while? No. There's like a, there's like a crazy haze happening and it looks like it's a cloudy overcast day and it's just yeah. smoke from the wildfires. Uh, all right. Where are we moving to, Chris? Um, I don't know. It's a good spot. I was thinking Boise, Idaho. No. Why, why not? No. It's uh, evidently the fittest city in America. Okay. There's lots of gyms and uh, lots of places that are like the headquarters of these other national branches of gyms that are headquartered there. Oh. There's beautiful, pristine outs, outdoors. And uh, evidently it's not, it's also not expensive. Oh, well, I, when you put it that way, how can you yeah. say no to Idaho? How to Boise, say Idaho. No to Boise, Idaho. That's that's my next move. Everybody else is uh, dipping out of California and moving to Texas. I don't really have a desire to do that, um, and I don't really have a desire <clears throat> to uh, leave Arizona, really, for that matter. Uh, but I do have a desire to leave Phoenix because Phoenix is not great, right? And this is all off of the uh, you know working off the the idea that I'd be able to not have to live in the same city where I work, which is what I'm positing because we're doing that for a whole eight months basically. So how could it possibly be bad? Yeah. It seems like there's been an exodus from Tucson lately from a lot of artist types to go to the big cities. Really? I don't know why. I don't know why actors are moving to New York or California right now, just because it's, Seems like the worst time to move. I mean, theaters aren't yeah. open. Uh, productions aren't really rolling. If productions are rolling, they're probably going to go with a very close knit of who you know, not opposed to as opposed to you know inviting thousands of people to come in and audition for a part. Mm-hmm. So it's just like a, I think it's like a bad time to move. Yeah, I, I don't really get it either, or I certainly don't get why you would move to the big cities. I guess I would understand the idea, which is that a lot of the wealthy big stars are moving out of the cities into other places because there's no, you know, like uh, several people that I don't know personally, obviously, but like, you know, famous for podcasts or comedians and stuff like that have moved out of New York and now they live in New Jersey because there's no reason not to at this right, point. Like, right, right. And then I think the same thing is happening with California. Rogan, Joe Rogan, is out of uh, California and he's in Texas now and a whole bunch of his... Like people also are not not Texas necessarily, but like somebody else moved to Jersey, or another person moved to Texas, you know, whatever. So maybe the idea is that if enough people move out, then you're the next option. You're there. You're local. You're in California. You're going to be a big star, right? Maybe. So I don't know. Yeah. I, I think it also comes with, uh, I guess, in the entertainment industry, you have to pay your dues, and part of paying your dues is living in a crappy apartment in the bad side of town going on all the auditions and getting rejected. Yeah. And, uh, why, why, uh, why? Yeah. I, I don't know. There's a whole, there's a whole part to that, that, you know, obviously I don't understand since I work a desk job, you know what I mean? Like I wouldn't know, uh, what it takes to want to like live your dream and, and live in these cramped quarters and stuff. But that was what happened with, um, uh, I guess it'd probably be improper to name him by name. You know who I'm referring to. In fact, you did a photo shoot with this particular individual, uh, and he's eccentric. And Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? He used to be a relatively normal person. Like, I don't, I think you met him right at the cusp, actually, where he was relatively normal still, but he had become more obsessed with the film and actor lifestyle. Uh So he would constantly talk, talk about like the James Franco smize, which I guess is where you smile with your eyes. Uh, And the Channing, like how he wanted to be like Channing Tatum. And so he 
did a lot of stuff that made him look like Channing Tatum. Yeah, a lot of popping and locking and weird vests. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's there's a lot of that. I kind of think that L.A. lifestyle or that idea kind of um, made him uh, crazy. Well, I think it might have enhanced what was going on in that head of his. Yeah, actually. Okay, yeah, you're right. You're right. Because there's no way that someone would just like go through this and just spit out the other side, be completely turned loose as he was. Uh, You're right. It's probably that there was something already there. But it's wild because he didn't used to talk about those sorts of things. And then all of a sudden he came up with this idea that he was going to move to L.A. and that it's actually really easy to be an actor. And not to be like an actor, but to be one of these, you know, um, young, I'm on a TV show or I'm in a movie and now I'm just really famous for being famous type of people. Yeah. yeah. So he got the idea in his head that it was so easy and he was trying to convince me to go with him, which obviously I wasn't going to do. But um, he he got it so into his head that it was so easy and you just need to meet the right people and you just have to have an Instagram account that does X, Y, Z and you just have to blah, blah, blah. Um, and he was so obsessed with looking young. I remember that was the huge thing is that he always would talk about like the glee people were old, but they looked young and that was the thing that kept them in the game. Yeah. He did mention that a lot. Yeah. It's like, yeah, if I open my eyes really wide, look how young I look. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, what's going on with this guy? Right. So then I didn't see him for a long time until uh, I had moved to Long Beach and I worked at UCLA. And I ended up, uh, he, he texted me or something like that. So I ended up meeting up with him. And now he was full blown. He lived uh, in a house with like, it was a two bedroom house. And he lived there with eight other people. And uh, it was in Studio City or Burbank or something like that. So specifically just so he could be close to the action. And everything he talked about, he looked ridiculous because he had gotten some kind of procedure done to his face. And I don't mean like um, uh, uh, plastic surgery. I mean like literally some sort of treatment, like some sort of skin treatment or something like that at a spa or like some kind of insane place because... It looked like he his skin looked raw, like rubbed raw. So I don't know if they just like were like, oh, yeah, we're just going to rub a couple layers off your face. But he was just like, yeah, I'm going to make sure I can, you know, look young and be whatever. And that was the last time I saw him physically in person. But I kind of think that 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 whole lifestyle or that that whole you know thing, I'm not saying I'm not making the one to one correlation, obviously, but like, oh, yeah, moving to L.A. and wanting to be an actor and doing that whole lifestyle is crazy and it'll make you crazy. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that, like, it certainly doesn't seem like the way I would want to live. Well, I think what's crazy about, you know, uh, that story is very common and a lot of people try to replicate that story because they heard someone else did it and that's how they hit it big. It's yeah. a lot like how people read all these guru health books or, uh, you know, there's 9,000 diets out there or mm-hmm. these, uh, self-help books or these business plan books. Like everyone is like looking for someone else's path to success where in theory, if you make your own path to success, that what, that's what makes you a guru to everyone else because you're taking the time to find your own path. There's actually a hefty amount of wisdom in that statement right there. Cause you can like dig and dig and dig through all these stuff. So you can read all these biographies and like, Oh, this is how I made it big. This is what I did. This, these mm-hmm. are all the auditions I went on before I got this role on this TV show. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like this, the ones that really stick out are the ones that have like a twist to them or like a, like a something unique that happens to them. And then people M. night Shyamalan. M. Night Shyamalan. That kind of a twist? Yeah, that kind of twist. Uh, I think he his twist was he was, in, like, I think he was a Harvard student, something like that. Was he really? And then, like, for his thesis, he's like, I wrote the screenplay and Bruce Willis is going to star in it. And he just, like, made it happen. See, okay, so there's actually several things in there that I want to, um, as, as we say in the meetings, double click on. Uh, and actually, one of them, one of those things was actually the very topic that I kind of wanted to broach on this podcast that was so I I mentioned last week and I uh realized not that I shouldn't have brought it up 
But my initial plan was to describe some events that had occurred to me across the week prior to that. Uh huh. And I was going to explain them and stay, you know, kind of ask for, you know, what what do you do when you get negative feedback or is this even negative feedback, et cetera, et cetera. But then I realized that, you know what, actually it would have been a bad idea. Like if I just, because that, I think that was either a Saturday or a Sunday. It, what had happened during that week was very fresh in my mind and had made me go crazy on Friday. Uh-huh. So uh, I was just going to tell the story as it happened and as it occurred and I've realized since then that unfortunately it's probably a bad idea for me to do so. Like I, I shouldn't just because, you know, there's, there may be too much identifying information in that ramble and it's not just my information. If it was my information, I wouldn't give a shit, you know, right. it wouldn't matter to me at all. But because it has to do with, you know, where my job is currently and the, the goings on within my job currently, it's like, ah, that's other people's stuff. That's probably not a good idea. But You just said a whole bunch of stuff that actually resonated deeply with the idea that I was trying to get across, which is namely this. Like if I take a super third person step back and just, you know, speak to we obviously know that that um, feedback, negative, positive, whatever is very important to getting anything done, because otherwise it's it's almost like doing something without guardrails. Right. Like if I'm trying to put something out, um, whether it's an essay, if it's a book manuscript, a script, uh, if I'm trying to put out a workout program, yada, yada, yada. I have to be able to take that to people and hear the truth about it, that would people be willing to pay, you know, 50 bucks for this? Uh, Is this actually quality content? Does it look cheaply arranged? Does it look like shit? Does it sound like I don't have a point of view? Well, all all these sorts of things. It's important to get that feedback. First of all, what I wanted to ask is, how do you feel you do with negative feedback? Meaning outside of, oh, I thought it was great, Chris. Like this, this was great. Like, you know, I'm definitely going to buy one or I'm going to send, I'm going to buy it as a gift or I'm going to do whatever. How do you deal with negative feedback? That's my first question. And my second question is, do you always think that some of the negative feedback is valid? Because as you just said, or I'm taking a segment of what you said, basically. That, yeah, you can read a book from Gary Vaynerchuk about how he did X, Y, Z or whatever, or actually in all likelihood, it would more be about how, you know, some vague story about how you just have to work 24-7, 365, and that'll get you there or whatever. Um, but, but you know, in the case where we're talking about young people or The Rock, he was uh, – kicked out of his house and only had seven bucks in his pocket. And then he did this, this, and this, and he made a huge success out of himself. Right. Right. You know, along the way, he may have had some people say that, uh, you know, Oh, you need to give up on this, uh, professional wrestling career or on this football career or on this acting career or on anything like that. When do you know that you should be taking something from this negative feedback and applying it? And when do you know that, Okay, that was a helpful suggestion, but I'm going to keep doing my my thing anyways. So those are kind of the, you, you know, no need to answer that all at once, but those are kind of the the thoughts that were driving my my thinking is that we all know that feedback is important. Uh, it was suggested to me by Tori that I don't actually do very well with negative feedback, probably because I'm used to uh, the psychology behind it being that, you know, I always had to get straight A's in school. Otherwise, I uh-huh, felt like uh-huh. my parents didn't love me. So then, therefore, if there's a critique on something, I fall to pieces because then it means that I'm not hitting the standards or, or anything. So it was suggested to me that I do poorly with, you know, kind of more negative feedback. But how do you think, you know, just from a per- holistic perspective, how do you think you do with negative feedback? I think, uh, I guess it depends on who I'm getting feedback from. Mm. And I don't know. I, I've, I feel like I've learned over time that you don't ask everybody for feedback. Because mm-hmm. uh, you're going to get either something very broad and generic or something that's so minute and specific that it doesn't really help any problems you might be having with whatever you're working on. Mm-hmm. So let's say I'm writing a screenplay. I'm not going to show it to Joe Schmo on the corner that's only watches movies. Right. You know, that, that has no experience actually reading a screenplay and seeing how it's presented on a page and then converted to a movie. Yeah. It's kind of it's kind of like you need that uh, point of view f- from someone to really help you 
with this very specific skill. It's very technical writing a screenplay. I mean, there would be kind of a disconnect, right? Because right. because somebody who doesn't know, somebody who uh, is used to watching movies could probably be looking at that movie's screenplay and just not, they'd be like, oh, I don't get this. This is right. Work. Exactly. But that's because they don't know that, that, that the connection there. So, so yeah, probably you wouldn't want to take it to some random person who's never had an experience with that. Right. And then and the other side of that is what kind of movies do they like? What is what influences them in their experiences while enjoying something mm-hmm. like a movie? Mm-hmm. So, so if it's someone that only loves uh, sci-fi movies and I present mm-hmm. a romantic comedy, it's going to be interesting feedback because they're they're wanting they're going to want to like kind of give you advice to make you lean towards what they prefer versus what's good for the story. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they'll they'll end up uh, they'll end up kind of what do I mean to say like not like weighting their advice different. So so as in you know maybe uh, maybe your dialogue actually isn't that big of a problem in your in your screenplay, but because they are you know they exclusively watch stuff by Andrew Sorkin, they think everything has to kind of be the same, and so they want to yeah, yeah, yeah. punch up your snappy dialogue and have all your scenes be two people walking down a hallway. Right. So it's, it's, so then it's also, um, I guess, I guess the, the general advice I have for negative feedback is that it's never about you. It's about the thing you're working on. Mm-hmm. So it's hard. It's sometimes it's hard to separate the two, but it's very, uh, easy to kind of take personal ownership over something you've created and have that, you know, being picked apart by some stranger is, uh, it might hurt you, but it's not about you. It's about the thing you're working on and you want that to be the best it can be. And if that person is giving you feedback of any kind, it's to hopefully make that thing better in general. Yeah. So they should be looked at more of like a collaborative help as opposed to an opponent. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that that's a component. So I guess to give a real zoomed out perspective of what I'm referring to without going into any specifics. um, I, from all the direct people that I work with, I have gotten really like rave glowing reviews. You know what I mean? People are Uh just like saying he does a great job. He always goes above and beyond. He has a comprehension that's above his station, blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. Even to the point where somebody who's several layers above me has been saying, you know, oh, all I hear is really great things, yada, yada, yada. But uh, something else kind of came down the pipe that was from somebody who I haven't worked with in years now and somebody who is so far up the chain that I don't have, I don't communicate with them ever. Like since returning to this job, I've had one conversation with this person and it was merely because uh, I came into the office one day to actually get my key card and badge because I was like, oh, I want to be prepared once we go back into office, which never happened. So it's never going to happen, yeah. Yeah, which, hey, I'm okay. Let's forget the whole key card and badge thing. Fuck it. Um but so I haven't actually spoken to this person, whatever, but because this person is so far up the chain of command, they kind of control the purse strings a little bit. And from what I hear, like my uh, somebody who works with me told me that, oh, yeah, no, you're doing really great. The one problem is that uh, this person really, really far on the distance over here um, has some legacy impressions. And it's not even anything negative, but they... Uh, or he said, it's not anything negative about you. It's just they have a stylistic difference. So, for instance, and the example that this person who was communicating with me said was, you know, so, for instance, they never wear red shirts, but you wear red shirts. And then for that reason, they think that, oh, this person must not, you know, et cetera. And that really told me what this was about because I had had a review with this person many, many moons ago, uh-huh. like earlier on. Um, when I, A, worked for this company for the first time, and B, it was still pretty early in that time. And one of the things that this person said to me was that, you know, um, you don't have to explain yourself so much. Like, you, you can just keep your communication shorter and more concise. And I was like, oh, okay, great, that's, that's helpful, you know, whatever. But that made me realize that this person was talking about me because he has stylistic differences from me. Mm-hmm. And uh, that just like threw me for a curve because at the top of the week, 
I was having a very important meeting with people higher up the chain who were saying that like, oh man, you're doing such a great job and you're really changing this. We want to make sure that we're keeping you happy. And they were basically speaking to things that were really good or like mm-hmm. in my favor. Right. And then by the end of the week, now I had had this conversation with, or somebody had told me from direct from the person who actually controls the money that, oh yeah, well he has a legacy opinion of a tish and like, oh, it's not that great, you know, whatever. And so I had this, what I call emotional whiplash where I was just like feeling like at the top of the beginning of the week, I was just like, oh my God, I'm crushing. I'm doing absolutely great. Everything's perfect. And then I hit a screeching hard stop at the end of the week. Cause I'm just like, oh fuck. Like I have this stylistic problem that this, this guy doesn't like, uh-huh. you know, that I do this, this very specific thing or I do, you know, whatever. And so then I kind of immediately went into this more negative spiral where I was like, oh, they don't like this because of X, Y, Z. And I was creating some sort of narrative for it. Or um, I'm fucked because this person has this impression and that's never going to change, obviously, because this impression is from years ago. So there's some flawed logic there. Like I started making a whole bunch of excuses or like a whole bunch of stuff about why I was fucked or why, you know, whatever. And Tori, (laughs) Tori just says to me, she's like, you know, have you considered that maybe this isn't really that bad of a... Bit, like big of a deal and maybe you just take negative feedback like really shitty and I was like oh yeah you're right it, it it seems like I immediately just got on the defensive about it and this wasn't even that big of a deal uh-huh so it then from that I kind of was like okay I need to develop some thicker skin around feedback and reviews and all that kind of stuff because let's say I actually get to move forward with flow roll still not titled the way. <laughs> In fact, you know what? I already got some negative <laughs> feedback. The the name isn't that good. <laughs> um, but let's say, let's say I'm moving forward with this. It's like, first of all, I'm going to have to get some thicker skin because in order to meet, to get myself to a place where I actually have a product in a line that I can assemble and all this kind of stuff, I'm going to need to hear a lot of people's thoughts on it on the mm-hmm. physical object and that's before we even get to anything that's like uh, a marketing plan a website uh the the name you know everything like that like there are so many stages and iterations where i'm going to be relying on people's feedback to tell me if this actually solves a problem that i think it does or if it doesn't uh-huh. and then even after that how many people are just total assholes on the internet and will give you a one star rating and you know type a whole bunch of really you know kind of hurtful stuff they all are it turns out they all are. So I realized I kind of have to get thicker skin surrounding kind of negative feedback. And, and I was just kind of curious, like, okay, so the first thing from you is that you make sure that you place value in the feedback that actually matters as opposed to randomly, you know, asking either a random assortment of people that may not have the right insight into what you're trying to do. Or at least then weighing it, like let's say I just had, you know, a a rating scale through Google or something. You know, it's like, Mm -hmm. well, maybe some people here who take the time to actually fill something out in total, I'm going to weigh that a little bit more, even if it's a negative review, because they're giving me constructive criticism or something to work against, as opposed to someone who just one stars you, this fucking sucked, you know, and goes on. I mean, what can you learn from that, really? Exactly. The thing to keep in mind for me is you're asking for someone to give you feedback or it's someone's job to give you feedback. Mm -hmm. So unless they have a a real connection to whatever the item is, the project is, the script is, the the product is, the the person is, you know, either going to be like, meh, but I have to give them something or like, oh, it's my job to give you feedback what's the thing I don't like about this or the thing that I think would be better mm-hmm. for me. So it's hard for people, I guess it's, it's feels better when people have like a visceral reaction to what is presented to them. If you mm-hmm. know, people enjoy a product, if people in, you know, have enjoyed watching something, reading something, uh, your presentation, uh, the idea behind your presentation and yeah. people like really connect with that. And you can tell the difference between someone that really connects with that and the someone that doesn't connect with that. And the people that don't connect with it are the people that always say it was pretty good. Oh. Yeah, that was fine. So somebody who doesn't feel, I mean, not even strongly, but somebody who doesn't feel any sort of way 
about it. Those are the people who really didn't connect with what you're doing because they don't even have anything to say that, oh, it would be better if you did X. Like right. they, don't, they don't have anything to say. Right. And so the people that really have that connection to whatever you're, you're asking to be critiqued or reviewed or given feedback on, they're going to be like, oh, uh, in this one scene, this person said this and it doesn't, I don't hear about it ever again in the rest of the story. Or, mm. you know, you put this at the beginning, I would never see it again. And I kind of like that part a lot. Mm. Uh, these characters had some funny things happen, but we only saw them do that once. Is there more of that? You know, so they have this connection where you can tell that they're more invested in whatever it is, and they're giving like very specific, very well thought out feedback that they kind of, you know, they connected with something and they want more of that. As opposed mm-hmm. to, uh, let's say I have someone review a movie and they're like, yeah, it's pretty good. I didn't like that guy's shirt. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, who cares? about? I can't do anything about the shirt right now. It's like... But what about the story? What about the characters? What about that? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's fine. I don't really. You could tell they just didn't have a connection to it. Interesting. So, so then, of course, you you're kind of weighing. Let's say you're you're asking ten people for their feedback, right? Uh, in this really simplistic <laughs> sort of uh, uh, example, but you're asking ten people, and maybe one person uh, says like, "Oh, you know, the movie was the movie's fine. I liked it. You know, whatever. Didn't really care for uh, that guy's shirt in this." scene you know whatever or or, uh uh, that guy seemed mean didn't like that you know whatever they say something surface level and then you have another person who says uh something to the effect like yeah i thought it was really interesting i I really like the storyline the one thing that was kind of a bummer is that we uh we don't really get to see this character you know after the halfway point of the movie and they were really what kept me engaged i thought they were really funny you know and it kind of sucked that we did they he just disappeared for the second half so you're gonna in your head, or even if you write this sort of stuff down, uh, even if you write this sort of stuff down, um, you uh, you're going to weigh the person who kind of gave more uh, substance to their to their review or their feedback. You're going to weigh that more heavily than someone who says, "Oh yeah, it was fine. That was fine." Right. Exactly. So even if they're like proverbial, because because let's this wasn't with stars or something, but even if their star rating was the same, you would give more weight to the one that has more substance behind it. Exactly. Yeah. See, that's kind of in the professional world. That's sort of what I'm struggling with. That's what I'm trying to do now. Is that everybody is telling me I'm doing a great job, and it's like, hey, that's great. I really actually do appreciate that. But I need to learn how I can be doing a great job here and do that. But then how can I do a great job here? I'm I'm not trying to stay here. I'm not trying to, and for you know, listeners, obviously I'm doing a lot of wacky shit with my I'm talking with my hands per usual. I'm not trying to stay at the same level. I'm always trying to advance and develop. So I am not so interested in b- just being told, like, oh yeah, that was great. That was a good movie, Chris. Yeah, it was good. It was good. Right. How does that really help you? I mean, it it certainly helps the ego, at least for a little bit, so I can breathe easier knowing that not everyone hates my stuff. I mean, that's nice. That's always nice. But I guess guess that leads uh, you to the point where you're not just going to... After asking for advice or critique, you learn who you can get good feedback from. Mm -hmm. And so it's not about winning that person over. It's about getting good feedback from them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, it, it's also not looking at it as though it's like a sale, right? I'm not trying to chase a certain type of like I'm not trying to get this guy to say, okay, yeah, no, great. It was it was a really great movie. I liked it because of whatever. You know, I'm I'm not trying to win something out of this. I'm trying to get honesty. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because that's something you can work with. You can't work with. I don't like the red shirt. Yeah. Well, and that's in this example, that's the part that's so frustrating about this, actually. And so this leads me to my next major question. So in this example, uh, because the person who told me about this person, this uh, other person higher up the chain, his legacy opinion and all that is my boss. And my boss said, yeah, no, I mean, I see what he's talking about in terms of but I think that's a stylistic thing. I don't think that's an actual complaint. Mm-hmm. So my boss is kind of saying, hey, you know, I see what he's talking about. And that just even more told me that I knew already what the matter of subject was. But it also 
So I want to take something from this, but also let me ask you this. Let me extend this question to you. And I'm not, I haven't gotten to this point yet because it would be kind of egotistical if I did. But how do you know, like, do you ever get negative feedback that you consider, of course, fully, but you come to the conclusion that they're wrong? Oh, yeah. All the time. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. All the time. All the time. So how do you, I guess in one of those situations, first of all, how do you know that you're not being blind by your own biases towards Mm -hmm. yourself and to your own work? So that's number one. And then number two, because this is kind of what what you introduced when you were talking about like, oh, well, maybe I don't need to do the same path that somebody else did. Maybe I'm forging my own. You know, maybe I don't need to move to L.A. and become a crazy person in order to book these roles. Maybe I can find my own way. How do you know when you appreciate someone's feedback, you disagree with it, and then you decide to do your own thing anyways? Like, how do you know when that's the case? I th- it's, it's from, uh, I guess, just being confident in what you're trying to accomplish. So you're presenting something to someone that, they, let's say I wrote a screenplay, mm-hmm. and I'm going to email it to you for feedback. Mm-hmm. So you are going to read this once and then give me feedback. Mm-hmm. And that's usually the case. It's people are going to experience something once and then give you feedback on it. Yeah, But the screenplay has been in my head for years. I've been working on it. I've been writing it for this last year. I've been doing rewrites. I know these characters. I know mm-hmm. where the story's been. I know where I want it to go. I just need to know if I'm on the right path or not. So it's mm-hmm. like, like right there, just defining what uh, I need to hear is helpful when asking for feedback. Yeah. So then when I, I purposely give it to people, I know will either... Uh, dislike it, people that are good at screenwriting, people that understand the process of screenwriting, people that Mm -hmm. are writers themselves, just so I can see if the feedback is going to really get me to where I want to go. And so uh, I'm going to talk about him. Uh, You know, Jaime. Yeah. He's my friend. I went to film school with him. Yeah. He hates everything. He is very nice, fun guy to have on set. He's like Mm -hmm. this very fun, chipper guy. Yeah. Everybody likes him. I can't stand... Great drinking buddy. I can't stand working with him on stuff. Really? Because he doesn't read things before showing up on a shoot. Mm. When you ask him for a feedback on a script, it's always super negative. It's mm. super, super negative. And it's, you have no idea where it's coming from, <laughs> like what his negativeness is coming from. And his notes never really align with moving the story forward. It kind of is just like, I don't like this scene for this thing. And it would throw the, com- story, the complete story on a loop and it's just like oh if i change this one thing it's going to mess everything up down the road and it's just kind of like where where are you coming from with these notes yeah but he has this way of he has this knowledge of filmmaking he went through film school Uh that kind of makes you feel like you should listen to what he's saying yeah but at the same time you're kind of like maybe i shouldn't listen to what this guy is saying at all right that's that's kind of you know and even from a narrative i i used to be pretty um i used to be pretty uh bent out of shape about this or i would take this still i was still kind of stuck on a really negative uh pathway with this i i've since then completely gotten over that because i realized that this is just one of those things about life you know like like it's just one of those things you end up taking poor advice from somebody and you only realize in post that you should have done your own thing. Yeah. And for me, it was that I, <laughs> man, I uh, went to college because everybody goes to college and I pursued a science degree because my parents got science degrees. And then when it came time to apply to grad school, first of all, the ne- the idea never even occurred to me to just not. I don't know why, I, but like it was just presumed. I just thought that that's what you did. And I didn't even necessarily had have that much interest or anything. I just wanted to make sure that I'd be able to afford to like not be poor basically. Or like I I didn't even have any debt. That's kind of the weird thing is that it kind of makes sense to choose a career path that you know is going to be more lucrative or whatever in the face of adversity. If you have a mountain of debt that you need to pay off or something, I didn't even have that. I don't even know why the pressure was there for me to do this. But when it came time and, and this is the part that, 
specifically I kind of remember is that when it came time to apply to grad schools, I remember uh, my father said, oh, well, you only really want to apply to the Ivies. It kind of doesn't, what's the point of not going to the Ivies for grad school? And that's because, and I, if you had this kind of experience with asking for feedback, as you do, because I, I don't know, how long did it take you to learn to weigh the feedback of the people who are more connected with your product than the people who just say, oh, it's a good movie? Like, how many times did you do that process? A lot. It was a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So h- had I had more experience, I would have realized that maybe asking for advice on this from a person who went to grad school in the 70s, maybe even before that, oh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, had to have been. No, 60s. Jesus. Yeah, anyways, a long time ago, maybe that wasn't the most accurate or constructive picture because when my father went to grad school, and I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not uh, demeaning any of his accomplishments or anything. He's a very, very intelligent person. But not that many people were going to grad school. So it was incredibly less competitive. Like, essentially, Mm -hmm. if you wanted to go to grad school, you could go to grad school because nobody did that at the time. Right. You just he he just sort of did it. So, of course, I only applied to the Ivies and then I don't get in. And then because that was the plan. Now, all of a sudden, I don't have a plan for the first time in my life. I've gone from high school with the plan being to go get into college. I went through college, aced it with the plan of getting into grad school. And now for the first time, I'm halted and I don't have a plan. And if I had done things a little bit differently, like if I had had the kind of wherewithal and the guts and the, you know, whatever to say, hey, there's some feedback. I don't really believe it, though. I don't feel it. I, I, I don't I don't buy it. Mm-hmm. I need to I'm going to do my own thing anyways. And this is why it probably would have encouraged a whole lot of a whole other like host of options that really I'm only getting into now, which, you know, everyone takes their time. Everyone's on their own timeline, et cetera, et cetera. But you know, I'm, I'm having all this anxiety about turning 30 and shit like that. So, uh, I, uh, (laughs) and, and that's not directed at you or a slight against you in any sort of way, but you know, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm realizing that I don't know. I, I think that a lot of feedback is valuable, but I think what's also valuable is no, is having that difference to know or having that, that, uh, what is the right word that I'm looking for? Like having the, I mean, I'm, I'm basically repeating the serenity prayer from Alcoholics Anonymous, <laughs> which is not what I'm trying to do, but I'm really, I'm catching myself. It's like, oh, you know, have the wisdom to know the difference between the things you can change and the things you can't change. Similarly, I think that there's, uh, like, I, I just want to build up that muscle of knowing when some of this feedback is valid and when I'm doing my own thing and when I should believe in doing my own thing. Well, if you know what the thing is, oh, it's, it's, it's also very, I guess it depends on what you're working on and what you're getting feedback yeah. on. So mm-hmm. if you're, you know, working on a project and you need feedback on it, that project's going to be, it's very specific and you know the end goal of that specific thing. Mm-hmm. So if you know what that end goal is, then it's easier to decipher what feedback is good and what feedback is bad. Yeah. So on something huge and big, like what am I going to do with my life? That's a, <laughs> that's a tough one. Yeah. You know, not a <laughs> yeah, lot of people have that figured out yet yeah. or ever. They never figure it out. Yeah. I'm starting to realize that maybe quote unquote, figuring it out was like a fable. It was like a myth or a, a false bill of sale that we were all sold. I think that's part of it. I don't think we yep. figure it out, no. but uh, uh, without being that existential in the specific case of this feedback and, and you know, then I'm thinking about how I want to conduct myself with actually not inventing a new product, but kind of developing a new product line and stuff like that. In this specific case, I've kind of come to the conclusion that I hear and I value the feedback from this person so far up the chain that they don't actually work with me ever. Mm-hmm. But I disagree because a lot of the things. So, in this specific example, I know that I talk a lot and I also know that my communications aren't short. But in the professional sector, it's a lot different than on the personal sector. Like, I will uh, chew your fucking ear off at the bar 
with some story about how this person sucks and, you know, whatever. And that's a really long, drawn-out conversation that will go across many hours, I'm, I'm sure. At, oh, yeah. Experience this. But when it comes to what I'm doing professionally and this person, you know, stylistically doesn't like my approach or doesn't, you know, whatever, they, I've, I've come to the conclusion that they interpret it as me needing to explain myself because I'm not sure of myself. So I write something that's this long because I need to explain it all so that somebody could tell me, yes, you're correct. Okay, let's move forward. Mm-hmm. I think that's a misinterpretation. I think actually what I'm doing is what got me to the dance in the first place. The very thing, because I started in a very low-level position and I've differentiated myself. Now I work in a job that is exclusively my own. Mm -hmm. (coughs) I am the one and only of this type of person at this company. I do something completely unique. And the thing that got me there was my precision and my ability to make people see my perspective and where I'm coming from, from anything from any, you know, side of where I'm coming from and being able to communicate effectively. So I'm actually hearing this feedback and I appreciate it, but I disagree with it. I will take it under consideration. But and I'm I'm kind of wondering like how does that work to take something under consideration but then to gently ignore it? Or not not ignore it. That kind of sounds bad, right? But right. I just I fundamentally disagree. Do do you find yourself in, in this kind of a scenario where you maybe were making a decision on whether it's Eddie Mummy or the murder mystery shorts or any of these kind of projects like where you hear the feedback, you take it, but you fundamentally disagree and then you move forward. Like how do you how do you take something that you disagree with under consideration while you still move forward? I, I think it all comes back to knowing what the end goal is, like seeing mm-hmm. the bigger picture. I mean, it sounds like this person has... Uh, a first time impression of you. Mm-hmm. And I, I assume they met you when you first started working there. Correct. And you were a new employee. But now I don't know if he understands you're in this new context. Right. That this position has been created. Uh, from what I hear about your position, it sounds like being thorough helps everybody across yes. the board from sales to clients to management to coworkers, all that stuff. Yeah. So, so I don't. I, maybe it's just a misunderstanding about your your new position, because mm-hmm. it is a new position, and maybe no one knows about it. Yeah. Yeah, because I think about this moving forward, and I think about this moving forward uh, not just in terms of my career, because obviously I have to like please the king, otherwise I'm not going to be, you know, moving forward in my career. But even more so outside of that. And kind of into my longer term professional goals and even, you know, somewhat creative goals and everything like that. I need to be able to, you know, like, like I've, I've been looking at a lot of other products that, you know, I'm saying I have blue ocean. But, you know, I look at products that are similar, you know, and uh, when you see. I could easily see that somebody would say specifically because what I'm trying to do with my formulation, everything is non-stimulant or at least very low stimulant. And what I see on a lot of people's other products that have an obscene amount of caffeine, but all the same, people say like, oh, it's underpowered. It's weak. Didn't I didn't feel anything one star. I don't like, you know, whatever. And so I could see how that then I would make an argument in my head and I would say, oh, well, they don't get what I'm doing. The same way, the same thing, the same argument that I'm making for my work currently, I could see how that I would be making that for my product line and for what I'm trying to achieve next or, or in parallel. I could mm-hmm. see that I would be making an excuse and say, oh, well, they just don't get it. They don't get what I'm trying to do. And so I, I want to be able to be this person. And I think maybe this comes with, I, I think you've said a lot about, you know, really weighing your sources of feedback a little better. And then also knowing the goal. And I think that that might be the concrete one because I want to make sure that I'm, as a person, I'm open to feedback and I'm open to criticism, constructive or otherwise, so that I can constantly be refining and getting better. And that also that I'm listening to voice of customer, voice of uh, uh, peers, voice of, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. But I also want to become a more self-assured person and so that I don't completely go astray on the things that 
I'm trying to achieve or I don't completely, you know, because if somebody else wanted to do this, there's, there's no reason that somebody couldn't come up with a product like this, you know, right. exactly. They, yeah. They just don't like, they just don't. So therefore I want to be the person who does that. So I do want to listen to other people, but I also know that my experience, my particular blend of experience, my particular knowledge set, my particular, like I identified a problem that I'm trying to solve. All these things came together in a very unique and specific sort of way. So I also want to trust my own opinion. And it's you need kind of, to trust it's, your own opinion. Yeah. So it's, it's balancing these out that I kind of find is, is challenging. Right. I mean, if you look at reviews at, at other products, you're going to be looking at other people's mistakes. Yeah. And so what you're going to try to do is to do the anti-mistake product. The opposite of mistakes, you know, right. you're, you're going to take all these bad things that you're hearing about everything else and trying to make something good from that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you, I don't know what these products are, but it sounds like they might be for people that are addicted to caffeine, probably mm-hmm. from all these uh, bodybuilders that want that pump look and that yeah. only, you know, that don't do cardio at all, right. which is exactly. the complete opposite of what you're trying to do here with what yes. you're doing. So yep. it makes sense that their reviews are... You know, well, it just also seems like bodybuilders are all about more, more, more mm-hmm. and they, at all costs. I mean, I'm giving up my personal life to be at the gym three times a day and only eat <laughs> boiled chicken and broccoli and maybe right. half a cup of, fr- of rice for some weird reason. Yeah. You know, just to get their macros right. And it's just like they're committing a thousand percent to this bodybuilding lifestyle. Right. To, and they're never satisfied. They're never happy. They just need more and more. They need to get bigger. We need to get... I need to lift more. I need bigger PRs. I need all this crazy stuff. Yeah. As opposed I, I to what, recently, what you're doing, sorry, you're kind of, it's very uh, specific, very a very niche skill that those people don't want. Yeah. yeah you're right. It's, it's me. And I'm, I'm almost like I'm being anticipatory with this, right? Because I, uh, I had a buddy of mine. We were at the gym. Uh, no, Friday evening. We were at the gym and we just did like a very small of the first kind of sample batch that I have that um, I've realized the proportions were off, but because the math was just a little wrong and so therefore the scaling proportions were because I'm, I'm working off of the smallest possible component and that that way I'm scaling everything together. Uh, because at this point you're working within like the milligram range, right? So, mm-hmm. so that was kind of the way that I was thinking of it. And I already realized that the proportions were wrong, but it was pretty fun to have another person who's a much more experienced martial artist and like a physical kind of person than myself, but we're both coming together and we're both taking this thing and just, I just asked him to, um, cause this is, this is the way, and, and maybe you might think that, I don't know, you'll, you'll probably let me know if this is a good way to go about this or not. I'm too far out right now from having a, um, from having a, you know, hard line kind of review process or like a feedback process. So instead what I just asked him to do was like, look, I'm super far out on this. This is formulation one out of a thousand, right? Like this is going to be that many or, you know, whatever. But what I said was, why don't you just, uh, like if you could write me a couple sentences about what you liked about this, a couple sentences about what you didn't like about this, uh, and a couple sentences about what the better product of this type would feel like to you. Mm-hmm. And then just if, if you give me that page, then I have something to work with because I can't, I'm not at a stage where I can use numbers at this point where I can look through many, many, many people's, you know, anything like that and look at numbers because all I have to do right now is understand that my body works in a very particular way and my, you know, brain chemistry works in a particular way. So I can't trust the fact that I take something and I'm like, oh yeah, this feels good. It feels like clean energy. I feel aware, you know, but I also feel very physical or, oh my God, I feel so overloaded. I kind of have a, I've given myself headaches actually now a couple of times, uh, <laughs> but I can't go off those kinds of scales and I can't just take my own feedback on this. So now I, I had to open it up to one person and actually start, you know, and if he just gives me qualitatively, we're not even working with data or number sets yet, but just qualitatively, how did this make you feel? Good, bad, why? You know, everything like that. And so I actually got like a sheet of paper, which was kind of exciting for the first time to have like a sheet of paper about somebody's thoughts about something that I'm trying to do and that this person was excited about the idea in and of itself. Like uh-huh. the execution wasn't quite there, 
but the idea was appreciated, which was cool. Yeah, that's awesome. I've done that before with uh, like with Eddie Mummy. When it first was edited for the screening, I did a, a Google form. Okay. So, so it was like it was it makes a spreadsheet for you, and it's like all charted, uh-huh. and it's just it's all digital. There's it's paperless, but it's it's always there. Yeah. And so, and you can prompt questions that are like, so you in that Google form, it's like a questionnaire, like a test group. It's like a focus group, right? You can mm-hmm. always put your your uh, doubts and your insecurities in that questionnaire. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, what did you feel about this uh, scene in this movie? Yeah. Or did did the mummy make you laugh? Did uh, you know what didn't make sense? Was the cave opening scene too cheesy? Like you can like phrase questions in a way that can either validate or like blow away your insecurities <laughs> about whatever you're working on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, and I think that's honestly that's that's probably a better way to do it. As I want to start to. I have to figure I have to start anonymizing these things and anonymizing. Can you so, make yeah, so, anonymize yeah. a verb? Uh, anonymize. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I it's, think a, it's the spinoff podcast from creativize. <laughs> anonymize. Yeah. Anonymize. Um, yeah. I think, I think maybe the Google form might be the move because I have to start anonymizing this kind of stuff anyways, at some point. Uh-huh. Um, not at this stage. Again, I'm still playing around with, uh, with real rudimentary sort of stuff right now, but it was really cool that I got it into somebody else's hands, that they were excited about the concept, um, that I didn't kill them. <laughs> that was nice too. <laughs> that every, That's a good every, thing. Yeah, everything went off without a hitch. Nobody was, you know, because uh, these these things can be for the uninitiated kind of uh, intense because it's it's speeding up your brain a little mm-hmm. bit basically right um but nobody felt overwhelmed nothing was if anything it was actually a little bit more conservatively uh balanced uh so th- but then of course the there's the worst question of all right so the or the worst feedback i feel like you can get which is so what or or uh what was supposed to happen you know right. it's like oh that one kind of hurts because it's like oh so then nothing changed at all from this state to this state. So there was kind of two ways that I was asking, cause I was asking them basic questions around, you know, how did you feel during, you know, this exercise mentally versus physically? So the mental part, I got kind of positive feedback that, yeah, I could tell my, my mood was a little bit lifted and I could tell that uh, I was very, you know, I hadn't had any caffeine today and usually I drink a lot of coffee, but I felt alert. And I was like, great. Mm-hmm. But then on the physical side, you know, the the response I got was, uh, yeah, you know, it, it felt like any other day, like when I was rolling, doing whatever. And so it's like, mm, right. Okay. Yeah. So that part I haven't nailed down or, or there was no noticeable effect. And if that's the case, then, you know, that obviously. So it's, I guess it's also in a sense, it's, it's helping me direct where my efforts are going. Although right mm-hmm. now my efforts need to be everywhere. Um, right. but, but it was a really cool experience. Uh, kind of collecting feedback at all because first of all it's like this is my first time doing anything like that so it was pretty exciting to have somebody else have like a little uh it, it looked so sketchy what what I was doing because I had a <laughs> I had like a brownish because again like most of these formulations that are professionally made they mix everything together at some like probably chinese factory or something like that me I did it in my kitchen so I had like a mostly brownish powder <laughs> that like, in a Ziploc bag <laughs> that I was just carrying and I just had them cut the corner of it and then pour it into a water bottle and like shake that. It was, it was, it looked weird. Uh, anyways, and it was so, it was like so homegrown and ghetto, but it was like, it was fun because it was the first time that I actually had a physical thing to hand somebody else, um, uh-huh. Z- Ziploc bag or otherwise. Um, and then actually have people review. So that was, that was really cool. Um, but, uh, I need to do a a lot more research on the, because I understand the nootropic side because I take those products all the time and I can kind of, I I know, but I'm finding that there's a lot of homework that needs to be done on the, on the other side of the house, the like not pre-workout because that's not what I'm trying to do, but like the, the physical enhancing side. And that's, uh, I need to do a little bit more work on that. 
So it's going to be a capsule at some point? I'm trying to make it a capsule, yeah. What I'm trying to do is essentially, but that also makes things then very tricky because they have different sizes of capsules. So uh, Mm -hmm. this is also what I've been finding out a lot on. Uh, most of the capsules that I've ever taken are called size double zero. So these are these ones that are like, I don't know, roughly around yay in size, but then they also have size zero. They have this. And the problem is the reason why I gave it in the Ziploc bag is because I don't have anything what's called micronized. So meaning that I still have to use a relatively large amount to do what I'm trying to do because I don't have a formula that is, uh, for lack of a better term, like compressed, you know, uh-huh. when you compress a file, you can uncompress the file and it's the same thing, but uh, you you just shrunk it down. I don't have any of these ingredients that are like the shrunk down mm-hmm. version. So I'm still using massive amounts of shit that would not fit in a fucking capsule or they'd yeah. have to take like eight of them. And that's not ideal. No. So uh, that part's still a little problematic as well. <laughs> is the uh, physical part of your concoction, is that something that could be like an add on with a different pill that's an interesting line of thought didn't consider that so you can definitely do the the neuro wave the neuro yeah. flowing and like one so maybe someone doesn't need you know the the, other the physical part of it, of it. yeah yeah or maybe someone only wants the physical part that is not as uh intense as pre-workout right you know that's that's a Really interesting thought because then it makes these products what's called stackable. Like I'm sure you've hung out with enough bodybuilder types during your photography work that I'm sure you've heard them talk about their stack. Yeah, yeah. Which is like Uh. all their products that they're taking together and stuff like that, right? Um, So I like that idea in that that way I'm making it smaller building blocks to build on one another. The only reason that that makes me a little nervous is because it will expose the idea which is already out there. Right. I'm trying to package things in a nice, neat little way so that it's like, hey, don't worry about those other products. Those aren't made for you. This is made for you exactly. Uh But if I'm being honest, I do this same thing that my product does right now or that I'm trying to get it to do. It doesn't even do it yet. Damn it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) This thing that I'm trying to get it to is the same thing that, you know, I've been doing for years now. I take a nootropic. And then I take just a very small amount of caffeine with a little bit of like beta alanine or like magnesium or something like that for for uh, joint health and for whatever. I've already been doing that. The thing is, is that like anything else, and I think you were the person who really taught me about this um, or like made this a concrete foundation is I always assumed that you had to be like the expert on this thing to release this product to do whatever. No, it turns out that people are making these guides or programs or fitness programs or uh, maybe even like, here's how you make a movie in 90 days. I don't know. If right. It's, yeah, yeah. You know, or right. whatever. They're not the only people who can do this, but what you're paying them for is so that they put all the information that you need in front of you and package it up nice and neat and make it easier on the consumer. Right. So that's what it's like. I guess I'm not really keeping it a secret anyone who will take my product will know what it does and will know that they can get those same effects elsewhere i just i'm not so confident that i want to call that out just yet right you can you can you can get exactly what i'm pitching somewhere else already already you can do that already it's just not neatly packaged like i can tell you exactly the amounts of this that and the other that you should do and that's what I'm trying to figure out. So I'm trying to do the legwork to figure that part out. But somebody could do that right now and, and could get the same effects that I'm going for. That reminds me of uh, Murder Mystery Night mm. when we we're trying to do the lineup and uh, talking with the crew. And they're like, let's plan out the show real quick. Or how is the show going to go? I was like, oh, we're going to start the show with uh, introduction with the live play part. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, cool, the live play part. And then we're going to show... Good cop, mom cop. And I'm like, no, we're going to show downshifts. And they're like, why? Downshifts way better than good cop, mom cop. I'm like, no, we're doing downshift first, and then we're doing more play stuff, then we're doing good cop, mom cop. Mm. And then they're like, no, that doesn't, why are you going to put, you, you get this uh, gem here of a movie. Why are you showing that? Why aren't you, why aren't you showing that la- last to end on a high note? And I'm like, well, downshift is kind of a serious movie, and it doesn't right. really align with. Uh, the comedy of the live part, and I I knew Good Cop Mom Cop was more of a uh, more of a banger than Downshift. 
I, in my heart, yeah. I, that's what I believed. And so yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess knowing how to put them all together in the proper order is something to figure out when you're putting your product together. Mm. So I guess it does make sense not to make two separate things, but to make one big thing. Well, no, but, but it's also like I don't see. And, th- and this is kind of what we're talking about, right? Is that your feedback is valuable, not because I think that you take a lot of supplements or not, not because, you know, all that kind of stuff, but because you are kind of willing to consider the ramifications of what I'm trying to like, like, you know, the I, this goes back to kind of what you were talking about. What's the goal? Right. And because we talk about it on this podcast, I think you understand the goal that I'm going for. So therefore, your feedback is weighted a little bit more heavily in my brain because it's it's something that would actually make sense for whatever I'm trying to accomplish. That's it's an interesting idea. I you know I think I've got a lot of homework on both ends. If hmm, somewhere in the middle here, by the way, and I'm gonna go back and listen because there was a point somewhere in the middle here where I snapped. Yes. And I had an idea for something that was kind of important or like not important, but it was like it was a it was a podcasting idea. And now, of course, I've fucking talked for another 20 minutes. Half an hour. (laughs) I've talked for another half an hour and I don't remember what it was, but it was something vaguely. uh, Oh, okay. well, I'm going to go revisit that personally. Um but yeah, I think the the concrete things that, you know, if I, if I'm understanding you correctly is that, you know, feedback is a very important tool that we need to use in order to make our best selves or make our best product or make our best film or make our best anything really. Like you yep. you don't exist in a vacuum and without the feedback of others you're never properly going to understand where you're at, what your thing means to anybody else. And you're not going to be able to contextualize that. I think I think we were talking about this, like basically how the bodybuilders on these reviews are talking about something completely contextually different than what I'm trying to accomplish because they're achieving different goals and they're right. and they you know so so you're right. It's it's important to recognize the context and it's important to get feedback, but then at the same time, if you nobody would know the goals and the motivations better than yourself. So if you really feel that this conflict doesn't serve you, then, I mean, ultimately, is that about trust to yourself or about trust to your mission? Or what, what does that mean to you? It means trust to your goals. Trust in yourself and completing your goals yourself. Yeah. It's, it, it means uh, finding uh, pillars to support you in these uh, in this feedback, you know, you're not just going to find what's not working, but you're going to find what's really working. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to make you feel more confident in that section that you're of that product that you're working on. It's going to make you feel better about that yeah. and to keep moving forward and keep growing and keep getting better. Yeah. Uh, you're going to, you're going to find out what's not working for anybody. And it's uh. like, and if you're married to it, maybe you just need to break up with it. Hmm. I, I guess it is like the, uh, like that thing from, Alcoholics Anonymous then. It really is, actually. No, I hold on. Hold on. <laughs> uh the Serenity Prayer. Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah, you have to uh uh oh man, I was really hoping to be able to look this up a whole lot easier. <laughs> uh the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. So I guess when it comes to feedback. It would be, uh, you know, have the serenity to accept negative feedback. It would be have the courage to know when to not accept feedback and to move forward all the same and have the wisdom to know the difference. Boom. Yeah, that's it, Atish. You you figured it out. (laughs) Now we all know how to take feedback. And as a side note, I have never been to AA and I'm not an alcoholic. I want to make that abundantly clear that I just happen to know of it, not. I will not confirm or deny that statement. <laughs> uh, any, anything, uh, anything new to plug? Anything new to uh, tell the kids? Elephant Scout on uh, Instagram, of course. Elephant Scout on Instagram. Instagram changed their algorithm, so now it's kind of like lame. 
it's uh it's, it's harder to share things on instagram now so that should be another thing we should talk about in the future Ooh, but yeah check I'm, out. I'm totally i'm blank slate on this i'm completely yeah unaware. they've the new algorithm doesn't really help you reach new people it helps you reach a small percentage of people that you already know and it's to uh promote uh ad buying and that's how you grow your audiences through ad buying which is uh. ridiculous yeah yeah Mm, not a fan. Okay, yeah, we should definitely uh, first. That'll be an episode where you just even tell me about how all this works because I have no idea. And uh, then, yeah, let's see if we can deconstruct uh, how to make the best of it. I guess. I mean, I, I don't know what the approach is. Then the approach is getting people to uh, talk with you, and you talk with other people to engage with your current audience. Mm. and engage on other pages that you feel align with your audience to hopefully gain new audience members. I have a, okay. I, I think I know what this sounds like, uh, or I have an idea of what this sounds like. I'll wait until we actually talk about this, but I have a, I have a feeling I know what this is approaching. Yeah. What about you? What do you have to promote? Anything new? Nothing Besides to promote. Brown powder. Yeah, if you uh, if you happen to be in the Phoenix, uh, Arizona area, and you're a martial artist, or even just a person who works out in that kind of vein, and you want to uh, try some mysterious brown powder, contact me <laughs> at Atish Mazish A T I S H M A Z I S H on Instagram, um, and uh, uh, I don't know. I should probably come up with a waiver or something, but. I might oh, come with a free I'm, coupon code. Yeah, exactly. Well, not just that, but just like maybe a free coupon code that says I'm also absolved of any liability. Oh yeah. You, you know, it's like I think that should also be constructed. Maybe this is where I'm going to use that legal Zoom and get someone to actually construct something that that, <laughs> that could be legal helpful. Zoom gift certificate you got for Christmas two years ago. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's going to expire. I, I really need to use it. So, um, but. That's it from me. You can uh, stay up to date on my goings ons. I mean, not even really on Instagram. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm getting back in the game. I just have been so reticent because of uh, how weird and toxic I feel like social media has been for. Yeah. Months. Have you seen that, that uh, documentary on Netflix? Which one? There's, it's a new one. It's called The Social Dilemma. Mm, no, it's a new documentary. It just came out like Friday, I think. Oh, okay, check it out. It's about how uh, social media's algorithm has really divided people even more than because uh, yeah. you know you're only they're only showing you things that uh, you're interested in and that other people you that have similar thinking. Yeah, yeah. and then it just gets uh, more. You get into a smaller bubble and it's yeah. just compartmentalized. And, yeah, yeah, and you yeah. have no. You end up in an uh, echo chamber. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Definitely going to go watch uh, that documentary and then we'll find out what's going on with Chris's algorithm. 